At Meridian Audio, we deliver extraordinary experiences. We create moments that bring people together, forge shared connections and make unforgettable memories. Don't just take our word for it. Experience audio as it's meant to sound. With a visit to our Cambridgeshire HQ, it's the home of high-res audio. Hello everybody and welcome to The Integrated Home, the podcast that's produced by the Home Integration Community for the Home Integration Community. My name is Jeff Hayward and in this episode we're talking clients. How do you deal with them and the voices that have influence over them? What are the challenges you face and how can you manage budgets, projects and clients to get the best results? Welcome to The Integrated Home. Today, we're joined by Katie Sparavon, Managing Director of London and Surrey AV Solutions, and Durgesh Sin, Top Man at Nucleus AV. Welcome to you both. Hi, Jeff. Hi. So, uh, Katie, who are you? And tell us about your business. Hi there. I'm um, Katie. I'm the Director of London and Surrey AV Solutions. Um, I run um, these companies with my husband. Um, we've been working in the industry since around 2008. Previously, we had an electrical company that dealt with high-end residential projects and um, art galleries. Um, We got into the AV at around that time and found that that was where our interest um, really lied. So we we went down that route instead. Um, And we have three children that we try to juggle along with running running the business. And Katie, you're uh, quite a hands-on director as well, aren't you? Yeah, so um, I we started quite small and we're up to around 14 people now. So from the start, I was involved in quoting and systems design and right the way through to project management and procurement. I can generally t- put a hand into all departments, but where I try to focus is the customer briefs, um, client relationships and quoting and sales, basically. Okay, Dervish, so uh, what's your story? Um, we came from an IT background, so I've been doing this for a very similar time to um, Katie's company, about 10 years. We were a IT consultancy servicing um, high net worth individuals and small family offices around central London. And um, our AV business grew out of that. So about four or five years ago, we formed Nucleus out of the AV side of what was called EasyComp. Um, and that's let us focus more on AV solely and integration but we have a heavy background in IT and, and comms. So we do residential project, pro- projects, we do commercial projects, and then we do a little bit of military projects as well. So quite a mixed bag. Both of you are based in London, is that right? Um, so we have a Surrey, so Surrey AV Solutions is based in our headquarters just outside of Guildford. Um, and we, we have a, a registered office presence in London, but we cover, we cover both more or less equally now, London and Surrey. And what about you, Durgish? We're very, we're very much based in London, and I'd say ninety plus percent of our projects are in London, with the few exceptions of a few things in Europe for clients that are well known to us here. And then the military stuff tends to go further afield. The last one of those was in New Mexico. <laughs> in wow! Yeah, so that was quite working at a distance. But primarily, we're in, we're in very much in London, most nine times out of ten. Okay, so. Um... We're here to talk about clients, and I mentioned in the introduction voices that have influence over clients. So there, um, I'm really talking about interior designers, architects, developers. So, Katie, do you want to go first? Um, 
what are some of the the challenges you face working with those uh, those people? Um, so we we do half and half our projects are either upgrades to existing installations where there's a very tight relationship with the end user only generally, um, and then the other half of our projects are um, from the ground up um, whole house builds which have a long um, project duration time and there's lots of different people involved in that in that so we're there from pre-tender right the way through as consultants to then rolling out the actual project so we're we're working with architects interior designers um quantity qs's quantity surveyors for costs uh, clients representatives sometimes because you don't actually get to always speak to the client um during the project so lots of different relationships to try to to balance during those those long projects um would you say the easiest project to work on by far is the one where you do have that direct relationship with the client yeah definitely definitely we try to just i always say it's gold dust the, t- the few minutes or, or hours that you get with the client to really understand what they're trying to achieve and how they live in the property and how they're going to use the property um we're working on a project at the moment where we've had a half hour zoom call and that could potentially be the only time we speak to that client between now and two years time when the project's over so this is getting all those questions out there and really trying to to understand um, and the rest of the message has to get conveyed through the team so it's um it's really really important to get that client time and if that half hour conversation is at the start point of the project where you're really talking about the brief, I mean, how do you get it all into 30 minutes? <laughs> lots of experience <laughs> and lots of just generally it's trying to understand how do they watch and listen, watch TV? How do they get their content, basically? And then who's living in the property? You know, is it a family? Is there are there children? Are there guests? Are there staff? Um, and then trying to go through each room and, and understand what they're going to be using the room for. And then talking bigger picture in terms of integration and control, as in, you know, do you have any experience with a control system? Is there anything that you've had at other properties which you really enjoyed or didn't enjoy um, any brands that you really are, are passionate about and brands that you don't enjoy? Um, just asking the right questions. If you ask the right questions, then you you tend to get the right answers and you understand what's important and what's not important, um, which you can then follow up with the design team afterwards on on those details. Would you agree, Durgesh, that getting the brief is the the most important part of that interface with the client? Yeah, I, I totally agree with what Katie's saying there. You you pick those few moments to ask the biggest questions, which might be short answers, but it gives you a big insight to what the direction the client wants and what's important to them. Um, so you know, you can try and work out: are they really into their movies? Are they really into their audio? You know, are they into both? Are they are the kids into gaming? What kind of ages are the kids? Um, again, like Kate said, you know, do they have a, have they had a bad experience with something? So you can kind of steer away from that um, and get as much, you know, ask the big questions. But actually, the answers will give you a lot of insight, and that's what you have to do. You just have to pick, you ask the right questions to just get as much insight as you can in the, you know, in the few minutes that you might have or the first meeting you might have. And it, I think that meeting sets up the whole project, really, the whole tone of the project. Then going forward, you can always make little tweaks, but pretty much you kind of understand where you're going to take the project from that first meeting. Um, Yeah, so we are often um, part of the team 
now as as AV specialist consultants, which is quite nice to see now that you have M&E consultants, you have structural, you have planning, you have architects, you have interior designers and and now there's a recognized seat I think um, becoming available for the AV specialists Um, and they they understand as well that we have such a wide scope on a project you know such a wide scope in terms of multiple systems Um, so I think it's fantastic that we're starting to get involved and taken quite seriously and involved I'm involved in weekly um, design team meetings for certain projects and you know just just there to listen to what's happening so you catch details which are relevant um, during the project. Same for you Durgish? Yeah I I think it's definitely been evolving um, as time goes on we've noticed that because you know as as Kate said, as we interface with so many things around a property be it plumbing electrics you know blinds curtains lighting we interface with so much that we can t- tend to touch a lot of other disciplines. And what tends to happen is once the sort of contract or the project manager or even the client gets aware of this, you have to be quite careful because you almost become a second opinion on everything because <laughs> <laughs> you're so used to working with the plumber actually. So, you know, you'll be asked, oh, do you think I'm doing the underfloor heating correctly? Do you think yeah. I'm doing the aircon correctly? Now we're just interfacing with it, but you all of a sudden become quite a voice in oh, have you thought about three pipe aircon instead of two? Because, you know, that was a problem on a previous project and they didn't think about that. And as you start bringing these things up, which are very, which are very valuable information, clients start to really, you know, respect that they've got another person on their side. Um, and then you'll find that you just basically get asked, you know, a second opinion on almost everything going forward, which can be a good thing and a bad thing. <laughs> Why do you think that is? Is that because clients feel that, I don't know. Why do you think that is, Katie? Um, I think there's a heating design is a a one that happens on every single project, every single project. Um, It depends if you're working with a very big setup with M&E consultants on board, then it's not a problem. But if you're working with a builder who doesn't have that specialism or or their plumber doesn't understand heating design just the concept of zoning and you know and we we speak up and we we speak up with quite a strong voice because we're always left with the problem afterwards um you know when the client wants to turn the temperature down in the bedroom and then it goes down in the kitchen and, and because they've not zoned it properly it's always it looks like it's our fault at the end of the day because we're the ones with the control device that does that action but in the end it's the underlying design and we just try to catch it. Lighting design as well is lighting, you know, so many times I see people trying to wire the bedside lights on either side of the master bed on the same circuit. And then, you know, afterwards we get shouted at because they can't turn them off independently of each other. So you have to have your eyes and ears about you all the time to try to catch those things um, just from experience. Um, but it depends what, what kind of team you're working with and whether you're working with a very established team or whether you're working just with a builder. 100%. I mean, the amount of times we've caught things like Katie was mentioning, I remember on a project um, in North London, we were working on it early days, you know, with the architects, interior designers, M&E consultants, and it just got into build. And on my first visit to site, the electricians were going full speed ahead, walked in, and they were wiring the main neutral lighting panel in the master bedroom, which obviously, you know, with the ones which are relay circuits, you're going to hear these clicks going and off. And I said, guys, this is this is wrong. Um, at which point, you know, we were all just new in a relationship. So I was told, stop giving variations. I said, it's not a variation. I know for a fact it's not supposed to go there, which caused a big hoo-ha on site. I left. It took about six hours of that day 
for the M&E consultant who was probably busy doing other things to step in and go, no, you know, derogation is completely correct. It's not meant to be there. It's on the other side of the house. At which point these electricians, you know, four or five man team had wasted a whole day on pulling cable to the wrong location. Um, and it just shows how valuable, you know, a, a people consultants like us, because we do cross that divide from being consultants and also being on site physically, um, which not many other trades, you know, on site have that, you know, where they have a practical side and a consulting side on a project. Um, and I think that's mm -hmm. very valuable, you know, not just for our work, but for other trades that we interface with. Yeah, and we were also saying that, you know, as AV consultants on a project, it's quite a rare position to be in a pre-tender consultancy position, which follows through to supervising first fix, doing second fix, handing over commissioning and then providing aftercare for many years afterwards. So so we're there from the very beginning to the very end. So it's a big responsibility to take the client's wishes seriously to make sure that many years after you've looked after their 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 wishes so that you you know you're there for a long time all the other consultants are very much either there for the beginning section of consultancy or there for the construction period but they're not necessarily there afterwards but we're there for the long haul and you become a you become a you become a storage of and a vault of O&M but not just AV, but for every single other bit of aspect of the job that's gone on for years to come because you saw the fabric of the house as it was coming together and you might have memory of where that lighting driver is held or where that manifold is hidden behind what piece of joinery and you end up being this, you know, vault of information for years to come. But, you know, I always, I always say that's, that's just, I think that's part and parcel of being a good integrator is being there for your client because like Katie said, we're, we're not looking to get out. We're looking to look after that house. Well, that's the difference, isn't it? The key difference between a technology integrator and other trades is that you do want a long-term relationship, don't you, Katie? Yeah, definitely. It's one of our um, big things for us. A successful project is a project where we're talking to them for, for many years after. You know, we, we want to be their AV technology partner. If there's something new or something cool that's that's come out, you know, we're the ones that want to be giving them the choice and the knowledge. You know, they don't have anyone else to, to, to tell them that SkyQ's just come out and, you know, all of this kind of stuff. So uh, so we have a really big aftercare department and we offer really good um, service contracts with proactive maintenance visits and emergency reactive call outs and stuff like that so it's very important to us to have long-term relationships and you also like we had a Danish client that we've worked with for 15 years and she had six children um we've seen all those kids grow up and now we've done three of their houses as well so oh gosh, you know it's wow. just it's just lovely and being Danish my husband's Danish as well so you know like we we get Christmas cards from them at Christmas and it's just lovely you know you are an extended part of the family and we help them with like Durga says with any random questions that they they often ask which are nothing to do with our our works but we often know the answer so that's fantastic. So uh, technology is for life. It's not just for Christmas, is it? <laughs> exactly. Okay. Um, um, Durgesh, what, so what, how difficult does it become when you don't have that direct access to a client, when you're dealing, for example, through the, the mind of a, a property developer, for example? I think you, you, you put a different hat on um, with a property developer. You, you, you're trying to create a product for them that will sell well and also what you're doing is you're trying to you know people don't like using the word but future proof or at least provision for stuff that you would want to do for the end bar of that property um, and make your life easy that hopefully you get those upgrade works so you kind of look at it in a in a different way you say right what's fundamentally going to 
be a wow factor or a tick box in, in, in a feature in this apartment or house for the property developer. And you're going to be able to sell that to him because that makes his property, you know, hit the right spec. But also, can we put in the right cables in the right places so that if someone does come and they want to put a lot of AV in, even though the property you know, developer doesn't have this, you know, wallet for that, um, the end client might. So you kind of wear a different a different hat. You put in the things that are fundamentally there, you know, things like lighting control, uh, provision for all the blinds, integrate with the heating and cooling, things that would be quite difficult to do properly would be the question, would, would I say, properly afterwards. You do those things now and, you know, provision, provision even for TVs and speakers. I, I, I would choose, you know, we say we're in the AV industry, but I really look at ourselves as integrators because if you gave me a choice, I'd rather pre-wire a flat perfectly for the best video distribution and audio distribution and spend the money on the lighting and heating integration and, and blind provision rather than, you know, spend the money on the TV and speakers because I could put that in afterwards. I can't I can't put the lighting control in, you know, properly afterwards or the heating integration or the cooling integration. Um, so I think that's where developers you kind of have to wear take a different angle on it you know than what you do with an end client and katie what's your attitude to developers as clients so so we try to steer away from developers and working for main contractors as a whole um that came from a couple of bad experiences where we had large contracts and the main contractors unfortunately went under um and there's also sometimes if they're in the middle of the client direct relationship you know you can have situations where the client has paid up to a certain point for our work and then that doesn't always get passed on um and it, it becomes really hard to give that client the life long relationship if um if if there's that person in the middle and we we just try to work client direct that's how we um residentials client direct and generally we don't have much opposition to that even if there is a builder involved they're, they're usually quite happy because they also know that we've our warranty is direct with the client as well so at the end when they've left you know the ongoing warranty is easy for the client to call upon if needed as well um but not saying never maybe in the future we um we might open our minds up again and, and move into um into developer market again and I know that uh, a number of integrators get frustrated having to deal with interior designers, but um, can they ever be a help in your line of work, Katie? <laughs> yeah, they can be a help. They can. Um, it's a very difficult tightrope to balance, um, as is most of the relationships that we have, even between husband and wife is a, a delicate relationship that we have to uh, balance as well. Mm. But what we to try to do is to truly understand the client brief and then we 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 design that and then we, we have a lot of workshops with the interior designers and we go through each room and we inform them about what, what the client would like to see in these rooms and then, and then we talk about how do we achieve that. So how do we understand the finishes in this room? How do we understand the options for concealing speakers for example or, or do we come up with something quite bespoke and have a, a bespoke custom-made speaker solution for this room to fit with the design um, change different faceplates and match the wall coverings so we go through the whole process until we're at a point where we're happy the client's brief is met and the interior designers are happy that that their design intent is intact and um, it's just all about talking about everything early as possible so everyone understands uh, the brief and they understand the whole scope and generally it's it's a 
a really good process and it's it's nice to show them all the different options that we have in our industry to customize and to to make really unique products for for them so I think I'm quite lucky because I see both sides really well. So I see the side of being a mother and a wife and having an operational home. But I also am passionate about tech and this industry as well. So I, I can find a, I can listen to both. I can also predict things that they're going to need, which sometimes the man at the house might not have thought about as well. So it, it's it's relatively natural to me after doing it for many many years but we we did have a a project um recently where the wife's an interior designer and the husband is a film director so two very different um priorities so one is looking at design and one is after quality of audio and video so you know trying to to balance those and give find a unique we we found a very custom solution um and put forward for a projection screen and you know trying to make sure that she's happy that it it fits within the room but also it technically is at the level that is required for the for the sound um speakers which are behind that screen as well for him so it's it is possible you just have to really tread carefully Yeah, could you just give me a bit more detail about that? So speakers behind an acoustically transparent screen. Yeah, out. so it's um so at the moment so it's a, it's an ongoing discussion at the moment. So there are um in more speakers behind and subwoofers behind a fixed frame projection screen, and the material that's used on the projection screen at the moment um doesn't allow for the 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 audio to come through so the loss that's happening from the speakers to after the screen is is too high so it's um we have a very big trin off system in there and um and when we were calibrating it the the decibel loss was too high so what we found is a, a Stuart film screen solution of um, a very similar screen but with different fabric and different materials so we're we're in the discussion at the moment of trying to get that material approved so that we can um, swap the projection screen so that he's happy that he gets the we can turn the volume up a bit more on the sound system there for him so it will get it will get through eventually it's just a a difficult one to um without proving as well it's quite hard to to prove that apart from giving samples of material it's quite hard to actually show what that will look like until it's actually installed at which time it's too late so we're trying to uh to tick all the boxes before they go ahead and place the order and how do you cope with uh the compromise issue that you face on site, Dervish? Yeah, I mean, clients come to you, you get two different types of clients. You get clients that are sort of maybe have experienced this before and gone through this journey before. So they kind of now know really what they want and what they don't want. And you get the clients that actually have no idea of what is available, what is doable. Maybe it's their first home that they've ever had, you know, had the opportunity to build. Um, And when that happens, we have to we have to just, I, I, I think it's important, I will say to them, look, I'm going to explain to you everything that's possible. Um, you're not going to want it all, but it's my duty to explain everything and educate you. So then you can choose what's important to you. Because if I, if I would not want to not say something and then finish the house and you say, oh, I wish you mentioned that was possible. But what, what ends up happening is when you do do that, your budget obviously goes in far excess of what they originally had in mind. Um, and they fall off their chair. <laughs> so uh, you then have to have a conversation about focusing yeah. on what is important and what maybe comes now and what comes later and what is important and, you know, what would what would they really want? Um, because then they can get quite overexcited about having everything until they see the price of it um, and they haven't put that kind of budget aside. 
And then conversations do circle back between the husband and wife about maybe how much the kitchen costs and maybe we should spend some of that money on a, get a cheaper kitchen and spend some of that on a media room and so on and so forth. So did you ever think you'd be a marriage counsellor at the same time? No, <laughs> it has happened. I mean, our longest project went on for four years because the couple couldn't decide uh, where to put walls in the building, at which point the architect was changed three times, the interior designer was changed three times, the builder was changed like twice or three times. And we were the only contractor who was there from beginning to end. And sadly, after the four years, the couple got divorced. Yeah, and we've had we've had one of those as well where they didn't yeah. even make it through the process. They ended yeah. up divorced. So um, it is sad. <laughs> It's an, emo- it's an emotional thing, isn't it? You're ripping it to pieces. There's dust everywhere. If it was somewhere they lived, if it was somewhere they lived in before, and they were kind of on the fence about doing the work, it, it, it can even pull a bit more on the heartstrings um, because you know it goes, it goes, it gets more expensive and it goes for longer than they thought it would. Um, and then they start, cons- they start thinking, should we have even bothered starting? Um, new places, not so much because obviously they, uh, they don't have any emotional attachment to it yet. Um, so that's easier to work. That's easier to work on. But it, it's an emotional thing. Everyone has it's got a lot of personal taste behind it. People's choices, preferences are unique to them. Um, so it is a, it's a tightrope that you have to balance and try and make everyone happy and stay calm. I understand that we can all relate to music and movies and have an emotional attachment to them. But uh, Wi-Fi throughout the house or security systems, are they really emotional for, for clients too? people get very emotional about it <laughs> they get very emotional about it so you know uh it's it's corner i think even for Kate, it's a cornerstone for for integrators to have that stuff um working it's it, you know wi-fi and internet's more important than water in your pipes now um so and electricity i mean obviously you need the electricity to run the wi-fi but you know pe- people can live with a light going off in the house but they can't live without the internet working yeah, no, I agree. I was my tongue was firmly in my cheek as I asked that. Yeah. <laughs> um, what 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 about that budgeting side? Do you, do you think that there's a, a challenge with clients actually being realistic about what it costs and what they want, Katie? Yeah, absolutely. And we try to when we first get involved in the project, especially if it's part of a large project, we try to we had a project last year and the the wish list was extreme it was she she wanted everything in the world at the best level of everything and it was nearing on a million pound i think for the budget and um being part of the bigger dis- discussions we knew there was no scope for that level of budget and we tried over and over and over again to try to get her to there's quite a lot of cutting you've got to do to get from a million down to about four hundred thousand, which is where the allowance was um and we're, we're really keen to not just go and draw and design a tender scheme for a million pound because it's not going to happen so you know every other consultant's going to take that information and build that in at that level for their systems and the whole project will be overinflated at that point so we tried to get to a point I think we managed to get her down to about 500 and then we did the tender and then we actually um, walked away from the project because we we knew that we couldn't deliver what she wanted at that high level everything was the best everything was like 100 blinds in the house and everything was amazing but she didn't have the budget for it so there are times when you can usually have a good conversation and we line itemize our proposals we can go through and prioritize rooms and prioritize you know 
know, different levels of spec to, to have those discussions. But sometimes people don't want to to listen and other times people just run away. Like Durga says, it's just if you're the first person and they've never done this before and you hit them with a, a price, you know, you really need to try to encourage them to call and to have that follow up and go through because they could just immediately run to another company for a second quote, um, which which is frustrating because we can all negotiate on you know, scope and spec and quality and type of product to, to value engineer, but sometimes people don't give you that opportunity. So what is the best way to educate the client to uh, get real on pricing, Durgesh? You wouldn't, you wouldn't want to say to go out and try and, um, you know, tender it out to multiple people because you know, no one really wants that situation. Um, it's kind of, I, I always find... A good example is kind of when you price something and they say, oh, that's a lot for that. Then you give them actually, well, you know, the, the, the most expensive speaker I can give you is X. And actually the cheapest one is, is Y. And actually you're way closer to the Y than you are the X. And I think that, that you know, those things do help because people say, oh, why do I need a 300 pound ceiling speaker? Well, you could buy one for 2000 or 4000 if you wanted, um, you know, and we could buy one for 50 pounds. And so you're much closer to the 50 pounds than you are to the four or 5,000. So it, 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 it's kind of that thing. And obviously they'll go and do their independent research and see that you're not talking nonsense. Um, but it, it, what people come up initially with conversations and their predetermined um, thoughts about what things should cost, um, most, of the, most of the time they don't really have an idea. Even they've seen all these things in their friends' houses or their family houses, price is generally not in those conversations. Um, so they just they start to make presum- presumptions internally of what they think these things would cost. And sometimes it is a shock. And some sometimes it's sometimes it's not. It's exactly on mark of what they thought it was going to be. And they just say, yeah, please go ahead. And, it, and that's the end of that. And anywhere in between, you know. Um, the, one thing, the one thing I learned, you know, for the years in doing this is when you do try and value engineer or you do try and make some sort of adjustment to save the client money, there's a point at which you just need to, like Katie left that project in her story, um, you just need to say no, because there's a point at which you it might work, but you might be valuing engineering it or doing it at a price where it just no longer ceases, it ceases to function. And you're just going to be the one, you know, holding the baby at the end of it. Mm. Um, so there's a point at which you just shouldn't compromise. If you, if you think that's not the right way of doing it, um, even though it's a cheaper method, if you don't believe that's the most reliable most performance oriented most you know way to do it for the client i would just say say learn to say no you know just say we won't do that one aspect of that price because it can be done but it can't be done properly very tough to do if you're certainly a small integrator you know one or two people to turn work down isn't it katie yeah definitely but we we see that quite a lot on the networking side and that's the bit where we actually walk away from projects more often than not because we we need to know like as a company we have a set um range of products for routers switches and and access points and everyone in the company is trained we have standard configurations for those points we know them inside out um, and we know that they're absolutely stable so there's lots of entry-level networking equipment which people can buy at very competitive low prices but it won't be as stable and um, it it has a knock-on effect to all systems so intercom and you know every system a streaming of, of tv a streaming of music it's just not something because we will just get called back our systems have to be able to be 
stable and bulletproof during the warranty period. We don't want to be coming back during the warranty period or afterwards. So, you know, we can't compromise on certain um, elements. But it was when we first started out, it was difficult to say no to um, to projects. And it's only as, as we've grown a little bit more that we, we can be a bit more bold and say no. But it's it's from experience only. That's valuable advice, I'd say, because it's easy to get overexcited by the scale of the project without thinking longer term about, well, the client relationship that you talked about, but also warranties and who's who's going to be coming back to fix it all if it does go pear-shaped, I guess, would yeah, you say? It's the small, and as you say, the small integrators, it's, it's harder for them, but if anything, it's more important because they're the ones that don't have enough manpower all the time to be going out on service calls and going back to properties. And, you know, if I knew now what, you know, if I know, if I knew now, what I, you know, if I knew then, sorry, what I know now, um, I, you know, this thing, certain little things, aspects and certain projects, I probably wouldn't have just put my hand up. So yeah, we can make, we'll make that happen. Um, because you're left, you're left looking after that forever more. It's, it, you know, do you integrate things just for the sake of integrating them? It's that it's exciting when you're new to this business. I got excited. Like, oh, we can make anything happen, but to, to, to grow from a small company to a medium size or to a larger company, you need things that are repeatable and practices and processes put in place. And if you can start that and that mindset, when you are a small integrator, one man band, two men or whatever it may be, then actually that will serve you really well going forward. Um, so it's good advice to anyone starting off or, or looking to grow or scale their business because you're, you're, you're putting in things now, policies and products and processes and way of working now that will serve you really well going forward mm, very sound and in terms of the value that clients place upon your design and installation skills do you think they they price or they value what you do just in terms of the products that you're doing or do they do they understand the level of design that you put into to a project Dervish? it's it's it, it is difficult sometimes when you're up against maybe a sort of enthusiast DIY um, client because when you you know when you put in a load of Sonos or amplifiers or surround sound and TVs they just think it's just putting that up on the wall and plugging it all in and they've done it before you know um, and how long can it take but it's very doing something professional as a CI integrator and doing something as a home enthusiast are two very different things we have to take responsibility for that and we're going to do it the very best we can do it we are going to label every cable and we're going to neatly cable tie them and dress them and make sure they're not snagging or, or too, not bent, bent too much everything's working everything's configured exactly how it should be all the settings have been done on the tvs on the amplifiers it's been calibrated everything and and that amount of time is not just two or three times longer than just wiring it all in for a bit of fun it, it's maybe 10 times more than just just wiring it in turning it on um to do things properly i think showing clients maybe you know previous work and things like that does help because then they get an idea of oh oh my god look at look at that rack and and look at look at the workmanship behind that it's not just they're buying tvs and amplifiers and and wi-fi boosters and just clicking them all in you know sometimes if they've got that in their mindset you need to you need to show them what the difference is in doing something professional or not and maybe they're not you know and if that doesn't work maybe they're not a ci client not all clients are have you know have the palette for have a professional integrator do put tvs up and music systems and integrate their home because um it just ends. It does. We are a luxury at the end of the day. Still, when you know there is an element of our business that is mass market, um, but most of what we do is very lux luxury oriented. So it's not. It's not really. 
you know, a, a need it is a more of a want of doing things properly. Sure. And um, Katie, hand in hand with that goes uh, an education lesson for the client in how long something's going to take, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely. And, you know, we, we on a large project, we never very rarely get given the time that we need um, to complete our works. And there's always a program for the project and we're always given our time at the end, but then the builder's always late and then that goes into our time. And, you know, you're sat with a lot of valuable equipment waiting to take onto a site that you're trying to wait for it to be dust free and secure and clean and sometimes you get squished down to you know a two-day rollout when you've meant to be on site for 10 days and it's it is frustrating because you know they've paid for us to be on site for the 10 days so why would you want to squeeze that into two days and why would you not want us to have the amount of time for testing and checking and commissioning um and then that falls into snagging when you know if we were given the right amount of time we would have been able to finish without any snagging um, so it is difficult but uh, that's on the new projects when you're working on an upgrade and it's just you and the the client then it's a lot easier there aren't as many people to juggle in the program um and they they are generally a bit more relaxed um but yeah it, it's difficult it's never never perfect i don't think i've ever had a perfect rollout <laughs> Any useful strategies in managing that whole process, Katie? Uh, just, well, you can say as many times as you like in writing that we need the time we need. Um, but generally, yeah, you, if we say that just to cover ourselves, but generally you just have to be a team player and you just have to do as much as you can, um, put more, more people on site. You know, we do a lot of preparation before we arrive. So before we arrive, the racks have already been built and tested and programmed and the termination panels and everything on site has already been done and tested and labeled. So it is, it is a quick quicker rollout um but you just generally you just have to to suck it up and just <laughs> work work your socks up and pull very late hours and um and then get the snagging concluded as quickly as you possibly can Durgesh, preparation is everything prep is everything as much as you can think about um and make sure you've got all the bits that you need to get the installation done it's invaluable. Like I said, you can't control it. You can prep it as much as you want. You can manage it. But we are at the behest of so many other um, influences on the site of when we can get in there, when things can happen. And even if they can happen in one room, they might not be able to happen in all the rooms. And that doesn't really help us. Um, and you just have to roll with it. And it's it's about trying to get to site and work out what you can do and make the most of your time. And while you're there, apply pressure to get the other bits finish so that you can get in there and, and like Katie said be transparent to the contractors and also keep the client uh, aware so that you know the client is completely aware that you're doing every possible thing that you can do and you're probably mo most unlikely like most integrators going above and beyond um, but you know things are not ready as they should have been and if you if you've done that all along and kept the client aware of where we are then there's no shock if you call them in the last minute and go oh, nothing's ready on the on the day that you're going to be finishing then i don't think they're going to respect you much for that but if you've kept them apprised of what the situation is on site and and done walk arounds with them often on you know through projects then they're completely on the same page as you and there's there's no surprises and if anything you come off looking like superheroes having you know worked till four or five in the morning we've done it you know we're like katie mentioned like we've done we've done what we should have done in a week we've done it and not gone to sleep and, and left <laughs> this morning. I had one one time we were on a site and uh 
we came in later because there were so many builders rushing around. There was no space for us to work. So we came in at five o'clock and we started to knock out this flat. And about 11 p.m., 12, we looked at each other and said, you know what, we could finish this by the morning. And we worked till five, six o'clock in the morning. And when we were walking out the building, the builders were like, oh, you guys have come in early. We said, no, <laughs> we're leaving. We finished. Bye. And that was the end of the project, you know, uh, and it was done. But, you know, integrators, funny. We are we are a funny breed. Yeah. Yeah. And for every time we're talking about clients, you could um, you could transfer in the voices uh, close to the client, you know, the client's representative, the interior designer, the architect, whoever they've got advising them or having their ear more than you have. You've just got to keep them in the loop of what's going on. Sometimes question these deadlines as well, because, you know, there's always a deadline and then there's a deadline. There's another deadline. So, uh, you know, sometimes we just speak honestly to the client or the client's representative and just explain to them, you know, we're bringing in such high value equipment. You know, it's like driving a, a Bugatti into a paint shop. You know, it's like, you do, you, do you really want us to do that while it's still dirty on site? Or do you want us to wait a couple of days? You know, what is the real actual? When are you actually sleeping there? You know, and sometimes you find that there is a bit of tolerance and the client would actually rather you wait um, and protect the equipment than, um, than try and get it in when it's when it could take dust and all sorts of other problems. So communication is key. I think being solutions driven, don't don't sit there and and moan um you know just come up with solutions rather than um being negative about anybody else on the project any tips Durgesh, for managing disorganized indecisive or conflicted clients these clients are the ones who are basically trying to be their own project managers and they're maybe doing not quite a large project but they want to be the person in the middle and there is maybe there's no even main contractor they've got a builder they've got the electrician and they are the project manager um, and that com- that combined with that's a disorganized bit, and then it, with the in- that combined with being in- indecisive and conflicted, we've got one project which has taken three years. It should have taken six months, and it's because they can't make up their mind on what they want on how much they want to spend. They end up always doing things in actually the best way, but it takes ten meetings to get there when is what is what you proposed initially. Um, but they yeah. almost feel guilty for spending that much. Money. Uh, and then they come full circle to actually wanting to do it properly and they agree with you. but but by this time the project has moved on and cables are now not, not where they should be because they've changed their mind and you know that and you're trying to protect them you know it's it's our duty to try and protect them from these things we, we've seen it all happen a million times so we we need to try and protect them from wasting their money what about managing the fears that clients might have yeah definitely and i think the hardest hardest projects are the ones where they've been burnt before um, because often on so there's trust you have to build trust but then also sometimes you're you're charging them a second time for something they've already paid for and it didn't work and they paid somebody else so you feel like you're the bad guys but you're not because you're actually solving their problems for them but they've um, they, they don't have much trust so that's quite difficult um, on the larger projects we have we're lucky enough to be able to put a project manager to each each of the larger projects and that's just a go-to point of contact for the client so lots and lots of emails um, and phone calls and meetings so uh, very time consuming in terms of um, larger projects like Dergesh was saying we have one that's been going on for four years now and um, very indecisive I think whenever you get up to a revision 
Z and you've run out of letters in the <laughs> alphabet for your design packs because and up to version 22 of the quote um you know then you know you're in trouble and it's just you know constantly updating the quote all the time minuting meetings um because he will just forget what he said a week ago and you know it's just indecisiveness plus exactly the same he's project managing there's no actual main contractor you know one one guy from each trade and it, it's a, it's a bit of a car crash but um I think you know just always having someone there's lots of people that just want to be able to call and know that someone will always answer the phone you know that that's very reassuring in itself that that you know they'll always be able to get hold of somebody that will always help them you know that you're not just going to get an answer phone machine or, or no answer to emails you know just making sure you respond to their communications all the time would you say that investing time in in a good client relationship does pay dividends because that client is a massive source of referrals and future business, Durgis, aren't they? One hundred. I can't echo, echo that more. Um, we have never advertised the company. All of our work from day one to today is all referral based. Um, all of it. So it, if that if that's not um, important to make sure you do the right thing by your client and do a good job. Um, that you know i don't know what is that that really you know referrals and even doing small jobs sometimes we do very small jobs for people but you never know where they're going to lead it doesn't mean you do them with any less effort um you do them to the your your best ability to your company standard and and the amount of small jobs i've done for someone and they've said oh you you know i've got your number off so so and so can you just do this wi-fi upgrade or can you just do this bit of the music in this room and a couple of weeks later it's led to a whole house that their friend happens to be building you know um so don't discount people <laughs> you know treat everyone the same because um, you never know what's going to come out of it katie yeah no definitely the same we always um we always say that and you know any any client gets the same level of treatment and the same um day rates as well you know there's no kind of like hiring or lowering of day rates depending on who you're working for so you know everything we we equally have had crazy jobs come out of call outs and uh, such like so uh you never know who is going to call next and you never know happy clients is the only thing all we want is is someone to be happy at the end of the day and um, we will keep going back and keep going back and keep going back until they're happy because that's our job is to is to make them happy so we don't leave anyone we don't fall out with anybody it's just not something that happens here we all want happy clients <laughs> agree more Brilliant. That was a fascinating discussion and uh, thanks very much. Thank you. Thank you. AWE are proud distributors of Sony televisions and home cinema projectors, bringing you the best content from lens to living room. For more information, visit awe-europe.com. Thank you, Katie and Durgesh, for your contributions. Really enjoyed that. Remember, we're available free on podcast platforms everywhere. If you're enjoying listening to what we have to say, then please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. You can follow us on Twitter at IntHomePod, on Facebook and Instagram at IntegratedHomePod, and on LinkedIn at the Integrated Home Podcast. The Integrated Home is brought to you with the support of Meridian Audio, AWE, and Sony. We are a Wildwood production.